Welcome to a Catalyst for Change podcast, where we are a catalyst to inspire compassion among people, promote collaboration with leaders, and build capacity for programming. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Support After Abortion's weekly Facebook Live event. I am so excited to be with you today. We are joined by one of our top five presenters from our last Healing Network virtual conference, Chris McCluskey, and we are going to be discussing some more of the same conversations that we had in the conference, and we're going to finalize this interview with the role play that we uh, experienced at the end of the conference. So um, please help me in welcoming Chris McCluskey. Hey, and it's great to be here, Lisa. Thanks for the invitation. This is a great privilege and always uh, a lot of fun. This is good stuff that we're doing, but it's really nice and enjoyable as well. It's amazing. And Chris, it's an honor that you continue to say yes to my request. Um, and I, it would, I would be remiss if I didn't first ask everybody that's watching to share this video right now with their network, because what you are about to experience is just gold, in my opinion, as a licensed clinical social worker, the what Chris is going to bring to this show today is just absolutely integral to our pro-life movement, how we talk with clients, how we share, how we experience uh, the journey of healing together. And so um, without further ado, Chris, would you tell everybody a little bit about your background and, uh, and kind of what it is that you're currently doing? You bet. The quick flyover is that like Lisa, I too, for many years was a licensed clinical social worker. I had a private Christian counseling practice in Clearwater, Florida, not very far from where she's headquartered. And uh, loved the years that I did that kind of work. So working as a Christian, specifically who was doing psychotherapy, the field of psychotherapy shaped a lot of my role as a people helper. There is a distinction that needs to be drawn between therapy and counseling. And that's because the two are both ways of helping people in states of brokenness, people who are hurting and have things falling apart. But counsel is more advice or direction or guidance. We would typically bring biblical counsel and advice or pastoral counsel. Psychotherapy was a little more um, nuanced, a little bit more looking for the underlying motivations behind things and diagnosing previously undiagnosed uh, disorders that were presenting in various ways. But the work that I've done for the last 22 years is neither psychotherapy nor counseling. It's coaching and specifically Christian coaching. I guess your listeners can see here Professional Christian Coaching Today is the podcast I host. But uh, Professional Christian Coaching Institute is the training school that I have run now. It's completely virtual. We train live in real time in uh, more than 65 countries all around the world uh, in professional grade Christian coaching. And so that's a different way of people helping that is not directive. It's not diagnostic. It's not, if you will, outside in. It's instead a field where looking, what we're looking to do is to draw from the inside of individual people out into their conscious awareness, what they're thinking, what they're feeling, what they're desiring, what the sense of vision or calling or purpose or motivations are that may be deep inside themselves. They may or may not have full access to that. A trained coach and a Christian coach bringing the Holy Spirit in there is calling forth those things so that we can all have that experience that we love. When somebody asks just the right question and you hear yourself say something out loud in response to it and it stops you in your tracks because you say, man, I needed to hear myself say that. 
well, where did it come from? Did it come from the person who asked you the question? No, it didn't come from a counselor or a pastor or a therapist or anybody outside of you. It came from in you, but you didn't know it and get it. And you didn't have nearly the likelihood of acting upon it that you do now when you've heard your own mouth articulate to your own ears what's really true for you. That's what we work in. And that's why the connection here with uh, the pro-life movement. And just hearing you say that, Chris, so I did one of our last Unraveled Roots sessions of the year, which is one of our virtual groups that we're offering right now. And a woman said just that. She said, I just needed to hear myself say it out loud. And she made the connection herself. And isn't it so amazing, Chris, when that happens, when people are empowered in a, in a place of um, discontent or crisis or strife to be able to feel their own path, like their own power, their own ideas come to light. Don't you find that that is where they make the most change in their journey when they feel like they were empowered? Oh, very definitely. And the reason is a very easy one for most of us to understand. When we're in a crisis, the tendency is, if, if we have any wisdom at all, we look for help. But when help, very well-intentioned, is offered, there's a part of us that needs to filter that offered help because it may or may not be the right answer for us. We may or may not agree with it. We may or may not even think it's, it's wise or godly or anything else. So we're scrutinizing the input rightly because it came from outside. So somebody very well-intentioned offers you a book or a program or suggests that you should do this and that and the other thing, and you're evaluating that. A completely different internal process happens when someone, instead of offering us advice, asks us questions, waits with us in that space of active listening until the answers begin to present themselves from us. And then when we hear ourselves articulate it and there's that strong resonance inside of our being that goes, oh yeah, oh, I, I meant that. And then maybe the person says, did you hear what you just said? And they repeat it back to you. Yeah, that's really true. Well, we don't have to filter that. We know with, a, with an instantaneous knowing that that's deep waters that we've just plumbed. And we get it so much more completely, again, because it came from within us, than somebody else offering us some great piece of advice, which might actually be helpful, but we don't understand it. We've got to ask some more follow-up questions. We're still evaluating and not sure. When it comes from inside us, it's like this just cascading kind of an unveiling or revealing of the next probably many steps for us to take. And, and we just, we know it, which means we're a lot more likely to act on it. Mm. When you hear it and you know it, you're likely to go ahead and have buy-in and move on it. Yeah, that is so good. And, you know, we, we never, Chris and I never plan our time together, but you're so on track with another conversation that we had this week. And it's this idea. We have a lot of leaders that watch our, our Facebook live and the leaders in our industry are so used to the normal, which is, this is the curriculum I offer. I offer it this way and I offer it at this time. And this is all I have. So when you call me looking for help and this is what I give you, um, it sounds like it's exactly opposite from what you're, we're, we're saying is working for us is this idea of we need to shift if we're going to make more significant change from here's what I have to what is it that you need and how can we meet you where you're at? Can you, you know, just shed some light from your own experience about how yeah. important that is? 
Yes, because you nailed it right there. It really is a questions-based way of responding rather than advice or guidance or counsel-based advice. Both are very good, by the way. Don't anybody be hearing us to be tossing out down some dark alley all the good teaching and advising and guiding and counseling, mentoring, et cetera, that we give. That's all great and rich. It's just that it does run into this natural internal filter that we all hopefully have where we don't just swallow whatever whatever anybody is uh, advice to us is. But when someone comes to us with questions, genuinely caring and genuinely listening with us, and they're the right questions that are begging to be asked, like, like it's just screamingly obvious, this needs to be explored. I'm not really sure what the answers are, but I know one who does know, and I know that he said, if you ask, you will receive. If you knock, and, and that's present for, that's perfect future tense kind of, of knock and keep on knocking seek and keep on seeking. If we're intentional with that, Lord, here I am, reveal to me, speak to me, speak through me to me. If somebody meets us in that space, then as things begin to tumble out of us, we, uh, we know the truth when we hear it. There, there's a phrase that you often hear, deep calls to deep. When we hear something from deep inside of us that comes out and it just it grabs you by the throat and says, listen, pay attention. Again, it, it's, it's not only helping us take the next step, I guess. It's, it's a transformational or pivot point in our lives because we can see so many of the other things that are connected to it. Kind of like you're experiencing right now where I'm sharing something and you're instantly connecting it to other conversations you've had this week. Yeah. And, and that's so good because last week, this is following such a great conversation. Last week, we were just sharing uh, many of the leaders watching said, you know, how, what's one thing we can do differently to invite more people into the healing conversation. And this is one thing leaders that we can do differently instead of saying, here's what we have to offer, which is wonderful asking, what is it that you need and how can we meet you in that space? That's what we attribute to the significant incline of the amount of people we've been able to serve. I mean, Chris, we served 12 people the first year we were in operation in 2017. Whoa. We're getting ready to serve almost 2,000 clients this year. And it's because we our whole mindset shifted from here's the only program to, oh my gosh, we're going to offer all of these different programs because when you tell us what you need, we are going to tell you what 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 is available that meets that need. And so I just was even talking just a second ago to a young woman and she was telling me, you know, I think I want to start with unraveled roots because I'm not sure I want to go forward with the abortion piece yet, or I don't know that I'm ready for a 12 week codependency class. And it's just neat to be able to share in that exploration that she has and actually have the ability to sit in that. And mm -hmm. so um, I, I just always feel so affirmed when we get to talk that we're, we're on to good things and yeah. great things with clients. Well, we have that similar background too. So we know what it's like when we're working from a place where we are in an expert role as the person who's there to help. And that's a terribly important role, but we know that we're listening through a filter of diagnosis. I mean, every therapist shows up to a counseling session or a therapy session with a question in mind that is basically summed up by what's wrong. Some, something's wrong. I see symptom presentation and that's not good, but, but the symptoms indicate that something underlies all of this. And so that's my job is to dig and explore through a diagnostic framework. And as we do that, we're, we're, 
we're asking somewhat guiding questions and ruling out questions. Coaching doesn't do that. Coaching just comes in in an open, exploratory, genuinely curious kind of a way. The question you kept posing, what do you need? A lot of times you ask somebody that question, it'll stop them for a moment and they'll say, I'm not really sure. <laughs> I'm not really sure what I mean. And then they may try to turn it back to us. What do you mean? Stay with the question. Well, you came here seeking something and it's perfectly normal that oftentimes we're not sure what we're looking for, but take some time and it's okay if we go hither and yon for a while. What is it that you sense is lacking? Or you used the word a gap a moment ago or a hole or like you grab whatever metaphor they may have used to describe what they're feeling. Unpack that. What does that mean for you? You're just inviting them to open up a little bit more as they fumble around with language until they hear themselves begin to articulate what they're really desiring, what they're really wanting or lacking or envisioning, hoping for, daring to dream about. All those things lie in all of us. Very rarely in life do we have people meet us very curious about them. They just, they, they want an answer to whatever their question is, or they want to give us some advice to whatever our question might've been. And we're frankly, not very good listeners. This field is all about doing that. And it's no shock to me that because support after abortion is so focused on meeting people where they are and inviting that kind of exploration that you would see that kind of astronomical growth. 12 yeah, people and year to, to, to 2000 in three or four years. That's incredible. And, you know, this is anecdotal, anecdotally, sorry, anecdotally our experience, but it's also backed up by data. So um, another piece of your journey, Chris, is that you sit on the board of directors for a pro-life pregnancy center. Mm -hmm. And you guys have done some research based on the difference between coaching and having the, the more scripted approach. Would you share with our viewers a little bit about what you learned from that experience? You bet. And that's been really exciting uh, to see. Most people who are familiar, probably most of our listeners will be familiar with the, um, uh, the typical crisis pregnancy center where people are coming in in a crisis. This is not a planned pregnancy here and they're not sure what they want to do with it. They may have come in thinking that you were an abortion clinic. They may be coming in thinking, I don't want an abortion, but I'm terrified of having the baby. I don't want to keep the baby. Or they may just be coming there because they don't have any idea what service you offer, but it said pregnancy and here I am, I'm pregnant. When we as the service workers, the frontline people meet that person in that crisis, generally, we are working off of some kind of a script. We are generally, we, we are pro-life, so of course we do have an agenda here, and it's a very good and worthy agenda to save life, but we do so oftentimes from that earlier outside-in advisory or guiding or counseling kind of a way. All very well-intentioned, but here's what happens in the psyche, in the human being, in our brain. God wired us with a part of the brain that evaluates danger, risk. And it's called the amygdala. It's a big $5 word, doesn't really matter, but it's a little tiny part of the primitive brain that evaluates every piece of content that comes in. All of our senses, as well as our thoughts and input from the environment it goes first through the amygdala. And all the amygdala is really designed to do is to say, is this dangerous or not? If it's danger and the danger is high enough, we all know that means fight or flight. That's what the amygdala decides, this switch or that switch, or sometimes it's expanded a little bit more, fight, flight, freeze, or appease, okay? But it's reactive. In the moment, evaluate through the amygdala and decide quickly what you're gonna do. That reactive state is primitive brain. It's self-preserving, God gave it to us, it's important. 
But when you're in a crisis and you're stuck in that amygdala and you come into a well-intentioned counseling center and they begin to offer you well-intentioned counsel guidance, what happens is it all gets processed just in the amygdala. And we either fight it or we run and flee or we freeze like deer in the headlights or we appease, which is kind of going along, kind of acting a little interested, kind of asking, but we're, we're playing the game because we're on guard. Ah, mm -hmm. our brain is designed to kick things through the amygdala up into what's called the neocortex, which is the higher part of the brain where we do our creative thinking, where we make our best decisions, where we have full access to the left and right side of our brains and our history and our experiences. And we think about resources and who else could help us. All of our good thinking is in that part of the brain. It's the bulk of the brain. We want to process a crisis pregnancy in that part of our being. I don't want to process it in my reactive, primitive brain. But that's where we frontline counselors unintentionally stick somebody. We almost chase them to stay in their amygdala if we're offering outside-in advice and counsel. Caution, concern, kind of almost in a parental kind of a way. The open, exploratory, curious space that the questions invite through a coach approach lets people know, wow, they're not trying to pressure me in any particular direction. This person actually seems like they care. They're listening to me. They're reflecting back to me what I didn't even hear myself say. And pretty soon that, that, that client in that crisis moves out of their amygdala up into their neocortex and much more of their whole self is now present to not react, to proact, to think and to process and to ponder, to actually consider any number of different options. And that's actually the word that we've chosen to describe this kind of coaching. We couldn't call it choice because that word seems to have been co-opted already by the enemy, but it's options, options coaching. We're inviting them to explore the options that they have. And as you said, these statistics are amazing as to the success of this, because what's incredible is if you think about the space I've just described, Christian or non-Christian client doesn't matter at all. When people are met and invited up out of their amygdala into their neocortex to explore their options in the face of a crisis pregnancy, and they have their full resources to draw upon, guess what? Nobody wants to kill their baby. Nobody. Mm. Nobody. They know it's a baby. Again, Christian or non, they know it's, a, it's not a plant growing in there or, or just some bulk of tissue, no matter how much that, that narrative may be get forced. They know it's a baby. They're just terrified and they want out of the situation. You invite them to ponder their options in a safe exploratory question. That same person may come back to you half a dozen or more times for not counsel, for coaching. But they will eventually settle. We know that statistically speaking, our success rates are over 97% success in saving the life of the unborn. That is unparalleled in any other, any other crisis pregnancy center. Absolutely unparalleled. Nobody believes the statistic, but it's true. I sit on the board. I see the veracity of the numbers because they do eventually hear, not you, they hear themselves. And they may choose to put that baby up for adoption, or they may choose to keep it, or they may choose any number of creative ways of raising that child. But in the end, they will choose that child because they heard their heart for that life. It's a game changer. Wow. 
So you have neuroscience statistics that back up this information. And, you know, I'm, I'm challenged by what you said, because I've listened to you say this before, but now hearing the neuroscience, even though I've heard you say this before, it just really is true. Getting out of a space that you can't make rational decisions is so important to the folks that we serve. Uh, but I'm running into my understanding and my experience, Chris, as you're talking of that volunteer, and I believe I posed this to you at the conference too, of that volunteer, of that client um, service director who um, is back-to-back clients all day long and just had a really significant situation happen, maybe a fight in the previous client room, and now it's um, a woman who's severely abortion-determined, and and here we are, or maybe a woman just disclosed that she just had an abortion and she's distraught and doesn't know what to do. What, as the person that's engaging these clients, what can they do, Chris, to be mindful of the fact that we go to that place of here's the 20 questions on our intake form. I'm going to keep you here, even though I need to get you into a different place. And I, I've heard Chris talk and I know that the neuroscience tells us that this is the right thing to do. But our go to in the midst of our own stress is fight, flight and freeze. So what would you recommend to a leader that's, you know, in the in the pregnancy center movement? How would you how would we be mindful of that as leaders? helping our clients through that process. Lisa, I love that you nailed a very important piece there that in the situation you've just described, which is very familiar to anybody working in crisis pregnancy centers, it's not simply the client showing up who's in that crisis amygdala state. It is the counselor, the frontline worker as well, because we know this is life and death. This is Mm -hmm. serious stuff. And so we've been trained and prepared and we're there to help, but we also know the numbers aren't in our favor oftentimes, our success rates are, especially with an abortion vulnerable or an abortion minded client, they're, they're pretty bad. We don't have anything close to 97% success. So it puts us in our amygdala and we tend to be a little more reactive, a little more controlling, a little more pressuring, even just in our countenance, let alone in the specific words that we may say or the things we choose not to say. But But um, in that state, the best that we can do as the ones who are called to that work is first remember always that we're not the only one in that room with that that person who's hurting. The Holy Spirit, God himself is, is in us. We are his temple. We carry him everywhere we go. And he is there with us as his hands and feet and mouthpiece. He knows that child that he's needed together in that mother's womb. And he knows the plans that he has for that child. And it's for prospering for good, right? Not for calamity. So reminding ourselves of what we know spiritually, and then coupling that with being equipped. Being equipped in this coach approach, that requires some training. And Lisa, you know here at the Institute, we always train. We, we have three tithed seats that's completely free, except we know a, a tithe isn't a freebie kind of a thing. A tithe is a testimony to the Lord that our institute has been able to prosper because everything we have is from the Lord. So we tithe three seats in every offering of our Essentials of Life coaching for pregnancy centers so that they can send their people to get equipped at no cost in this basic coach approach. The Essentials is just the introductory course. But when a person has had that training, usually it's like they catch fire. They went from hearing it cognitively and going, oh, that kind of sounds cool. That's a different approach. I don't do that. Okay, I'm game. I'll try it. And then they get about class six or seven or eight somewhere. It's a 15-week long course taught live via distance. And they have an epiphany like I did in my seventh 
class. I, I can remember I burst out in class. I was like, wait a minute. I just suddenly understood that I haven't been doing this. I thought I was as a therapist. And I suddenly realized this is a radically different way of me showing up. It's different from what I do, but it's my being, my way of being in that role that's so radically different. So that kind of equipping to be able to show up differently invites us as the worker then who is tasked with this very important role, spiritually speaking, to be able to uh, get out of our amygdala, to access mm -hmm. the training that we have, to remember that in fact, God is there working through us and we are now a more sharpened tool in his hand because we've got more than just this one primary way of interacting. Those two yeah. things, remember our spiritual truths and get some equipping so that we start, to, it's not going to be second nature yet, but you at least begin to know, wait a minute, I think I'm stepping over into the counseling or consulting role here. Let me get back to the coaching role. You can tell which hat you're wearing. Right. And I believe so much in this as a therapist who's worked with severely traumatized women and men and children, um, as somebody who has worked in the pregnancy center having been there and walked it out with volunteers and my client service director, I just want to let everybody watching know that this approach is the by far the best approach and it's going to get the most amount of response and, um, and, and shifting because of what Chris is saying. It's, it's accessing an entirely different part of the brain than I believe Chris that our movement has been able to access. Right. And I, I just think what you're, what you're sharing and what we're, what we're doing, we still don't know where God's leading all of this, but every time we take a step forward, it's a little bit more revealing. This is what our industry needs to be focusing on is helping to learn how to number one, be coachable and not in the fight, flight and freeze mode, trust in the Lord and not bring our own junk into the room with our clients and be aware that we all have junk. And then be able to be with, and that's what I love what you said, we mm -hmm. get to be with the client. It's our way of being that invites them to feel safe and comfortable to explore options, right? Uh, which is so amazing. Um, so you said these three seats, Chris, but you also have a training program that you shared with me a couple weeks ago. Would you talk to our viewers about that? Yeah, if people go to the Institute's website, probably the easiest way to familiarize yourself is to look over the site, but then we have free access to other practicing coaches who serve part-time as academic advisors. They can just meet with you by phone and help you see how the school is put together because the Institute has about 350 hours worth of training, but they're all broken up into small compartments. Everything stacks. If a person wanted to make a career as a coach, they can actually do that. They can become certified and all. But the majority of the people that we're training in in pregnancy centers they're just wanting to equip their frontline workers with this different approach so typically they will choose some a la carte courses that introductory course and then they'll tag on to it a practicum class called coaching skills development i'm a firm believer that the real learning of anything only starts when we begin doing it so those practicums are very small classes of no more than nine people and you're just hearing once they've all gone through the intro course, now you're hearing live coaching. They're really doing coaching live in real time and you're processing it with your instructor. You're getting feedback and you start to hear, well, sometimes you're the one on the hot seat. Other times it's your colleagues in the class on the hot seat, but you can hear when they switch roles and it all starts to gel and make more sense. From there, people can go on further. 
but at this point, what we are doing is when, pe when people come from pregnancy centers specifically, we're integrating them into all the rest of our life coach training program. So anybody that's wanting to do parent coaching or health and fitness coaching, financial coaching, spiritual formation coaching, um, career coaching, entrepreneur, anything that people want to grow in, they'll take coaching for. We're putting people into that. What we see developing is a, a pregnancy center specific kind of a track, probably. Best we can tell down the road, that's where the Lord's leading. It doesn't exist yet. But for now, we just keep saying, come on in. When we get so many people that all of our tithe seats are filled, we still work out with scholarship rates and we put people back to their boards and hopefully their boards watch a video like this one and realize, okay, yeah, we'll pony up some money for that. Let's get some of our people trained. Let's at least get the executive director trained and maybe one other person. So pretty radically in the last about three years in the US and Canada, we have trained we've completely lost track of the number of counseling centers specifically that we've trained in this, but all of them report their numbers going up in success because again, it's, it's not directive. I can't wait to see this as a training tool in every pregnancy center as an onboarding technique for volunteers, all of it. it it's so necessary. It should be mandatory um, because we're actually doing a disservice oftentimes for our clients when we're not equipped in the ways that God needs us to be equipped. And when we're bringing our own junk into the, into the room and when we're maybe even further creating crisis because we're staying, like you said, in the amygdala and, and the flight, flight freeze starts and it's like, oh, they're not here to help me. They're here to tell me what to do. Or mm -hmm. I, I, mm -hmm. I can't wait. I see it, Chris. I really see it. Well, let me say two other things about that quickly. I'm watching our time and I realize we're at the bottom of the hour. But first, I'm seeing some of your comments from some of you that are watching us live. And thank you for those. The questions are, can you do a role play? Can, can you and Lisa role play this out? We're actually going to run for you a role play that Lisa and I did for the conference recently here. So if you'll stay tuned when we're done chatting here, then they're going to run that tape of a quick about 10 minute role play or so that we did. Uh, but, um, but secondly, uh, back to the issue of, um, uh, of, of the reality of working a pregnancy center and the numbers that we're all used to. I do want to be sure that our listeners hear the pregnancy center on which I, I serve on the board here in Rolla, Missouri. Uh, we have spawned 12 other pregnancy centers throughout the state. We've been to DC the last two years with some of our people highlighted in the Rose Garden there and with Pence and the private luncheon that was hosted. Uh, we are very much at the forefront of the movement, but the coaching that we're doing with our people will oftentimes get other pregnancy centers kind of skeptical of our numbers. Again, nobody believes 97% success, but we're quick to say, oh, I assure you this is with abortion-minded and abortion-vulnerable clients because there isn't a thing on our website that even remotely indicates that we're Christian. There's no fish symbol. There's no scripture verse. You walk into our, our center, it's drop-dead gorgeous. Absolutely beautiful women's center, very woman-affirming. It doesn't look like one of those ew-type clinics, but there's no indication of any Christian, any influence there. And these people are coming because on our search engine optimization, we specifically target abortion. It looks like, on many fronts, like we're probably an abortion provider or at least a referral center. That's who's coming to us. So we know statistically that better than 70% of the people who show up at our clinic are abortion-minded and abortion-vulnerable. And we have 97 point, I forget what the last statistic was, but 97.7 other percent success in them choosing to keep 
pregnancy because the person is heard, they hear themselves, and they make a decision that is in sync with self, not this reactive, fear-based, I'm just going to get out of this bad situation, fight, flight, freezer, bees, I'm going to do one of them. No, their whole self evaluates it, and they make a decision that they're going to be able to live with, however tough. They're going to be able to live with it because they heard their whole self explore it. So good. So I want to remind everybody that we're here to answer any of your questions. Chris clearly is such an amazing and articulate presenter. So if you have any questions for him, please leave it in the chat feature of your Facebook Live um, or underneath the Facebook Live video. And uh, I just have one more thought or question, Chris, as we're wrapping up. And, and like Chris said, we will be playing the role play immediately following any of the questions that you have. You know, Chris, as you're talking about SEO and as you're talking about pregnancy centers, I want to bring this back to the abortion healing movement. You know, we have abortion healing programs inside pregnancy centers. It seems as though the pregnancy center movement is adopting the restoration piece slowly as a method of really healing the generational patterns of behavior and understanding. And so they're really getting to understand how important it is as we approach these pro, this pro-life issue and really get people to understand that abortion healing is majorly pro-life. So as we're thinking about, we have standing counseling centers, standing abortion healing programs, but we have abortion healing inside of a pregnancy center. How would you um, equip a leader right now with this whole thought process in the intake? You know, we know that we're trying to save that baby's life, but we're, we're in a coach mentality. We're not there with the, you know, pen and paper trying to keep to the agenda. What if they reveal that they've had an abortion already? Um, how, what would be one of, or two of the things that you might, um, you know, keep in the back of your mind is how to be with that client to maybe um, unpack that a little bit for them to know that there is healing as a, as an option for them. I'm glad you asked that. I'm going to draw a distinction between what Lisa's asking me about here and what coaching is normally applied to, because as I said at the very beginning of this recording, uh, therapy and counseling, we need those. We are not chucking those down some, some alley. Those are principally the best tools we have to bring healing. So the whole abortion healing movement needs to cling tightly to good therapy, to good counseling, and that way of being when we are principally seeking to be a healing agent. Now, a crisis pregnancy is a different state. There, we're looking to try to help somebody get out of their amygdala so they can make a fully conscious decision that's in keeping with their whole being. So we're using it in an approach that you could say, wait, that's a crisis, that's more healing rather than growth. Well, okay, we could parse words on that if we need to, but we do coaching with somebody who's in a career crisis. You know, they, they got fired from their job or their job went overseas or their business closed down or something. So they're in a crisis, but we'll take a coach approach to help them envision a new career path. So coaching is mostly about growth. If you imagine a continuum and on this end of the continuum is healing because something is broken, something was, was terribly wounding, hurtful, bad decisions were made, consequences were suffered, all of the above. Healing is down here and growth is here. Well, on that continuum, all of us are at various places on it all the time. You're never in one place or the other. And the beauty of being trained in not only counseling and, and therapy, which is your best go-to for the healing, but in coaching is that you as the people helper 
can move along that continuum to meet the client based on your best assessment of what is the main thing they're needing right now. If I were to step back from what they're sharing and sum it up in a word, are they mostly looking for growth? Are they ready for growth? Are they needing growth? Or are they mostly in a state of brokenness where healing is needed? And that will help you choose which hat you're going to wear as to how you interact. So in the abortion healing world, you said it rightly. If you hear something about a past abortion while you're working in a crisis pregnancy situation with the person now, you'll mostly keep that in the back of your mind. That's for probably a future discussion down the road. When it comes out, the coach approach is probably not mostly what you're going to bring there. That's still the field of support groups, ministry, therapy, counseling, any number of, of, of interventions may be needed there for healing. But um, yeah, I, I think that illustrates that we, we don't do an either or, we need it all. And so all we're doing is expanding our toolkit. And that's a good thing. Oh, just music. I just hear music because, you know, it could become a checkbox. You know, we want these, we want to know if somebody's experienced abortion and it, we want that on our intake, but I love how you just articulated because is it about growth or is it about healing and where are you willing to meet that client? Cause they need you to meet them. Not okay. Now you said abortion healing. Let me tell you about the 10 groups. Um, so we've got to be careful about that too, that if we're a new center or we've offered this new restoration program, we're super excited about it. It doesn't mean that our clients are ready for that either. Nope. Very well intentioned, but we could be missing the boat by a mile. <laughs> right. Right. Yes. Only if we're meeting them in that genuine, caring, open, active listening space, will we really hear what is it that they're needing? And then we'll ask that question that you post. What do you most need right now? And they'll say, I, I don't know. And then you just, that's okay. Stay with that question. Be in the question. Don't rush to the answers. Be with them in the question because the answers will begin to present themselves through themselves. Absolutely. And when they begin to be with us in the office and experience us as part of their support, it's only going to allow that relationship to continue to grow from my experience. And that when it mm -hmm. is time to begin the healing journey, they will trust the process and trust you to help um, engage them in that process. Oh, here's the cool thing that's happened at our center. I talked about the other centers that we have spawned throughout Missouri, and, and some of our listeners may, may realize that Missouri is one of the states that currently you are not able to get an abortion in the entire state of Missouri. Yay, we'll see what happens in 2021 as things roll over, but of course people just go across the, the river into Illinois and they can get anything they want there, but we've had tremendous influence here in this state. And it's always just one life at a time. We work on the political front and on the public media front, but we work always in the end, one person at a time. But, um, but we, we did not have a particularly strong vision originally for all the rest of the growth that's going to be needed when somebody decides to, say, keep the baby. And they need now some help with career, maybe completing a GED, maybe they need transitional housing, maybe they need, you know, Dave Ramsey type financial management kind of help, any number they pay, relationship counseling, if they're in a relationship with the person, perhaps who's the parent, the father of, of the child. We now provide all of that. We've got an amazing transitional program. So these people will stay with us in a coach approach as they not only made that decision to keep the child, but now two, three, four years later, they're still working with our coaches as the whole trajectory of the rest of their lives has pivoted.
they are becoming wow. a different being than they ever would have done. Wouldn't wish the crisis on anybody, on the worst enemy, but wouldn't trade it for the world because it was the pivot point and somebody met them in a coach approach and all kinds of new possibilities opened up. That's amazing. Well, Chris, I am always so excited to have you. And I, I see this continuing to evolve and grow. And like I said earlier in the show, I think it is absolutely important that anybody that's in a leadership role in the pro-life movement needs to have training in the coach approach. And so um, to close this out before we get ready to play our role play, Chris, how would people go about learning about the coaching program on your website? What would be the next step for them? The, the quickest one that you can do right now, as soon as the role play is over, is go to professionalchristiancoaching.com. It's a long URL. Watch for typos. Professionalchristiancoaching.com. And on there, there's scads of information. As I said, there's also an 888 number and a, a form that you can fill out to speak directly with. We have five different academic advisors who will meet with you by phone. It's absolutely free. There's not a bit of commitment. There's no pressure. They're just going to find out what you need and prayerfully help you explore what that might mean for you for the future. You will also see on that website a podcast button, and that is for Professional Christian Coaching Today. Uh, Kim Avery, my co-host, and I have done a weekly podcast for more than five years now. So there's hundreds of episodes out there of Christian coaching applied to a wide range of life application. Mm. Thank you so much. Uh, Sylvia just commented, being with someone in the online environment has been a challenge. And so, um, Sylvia, you know what? You just gave me the focus of our next show with Chris. So we'll give Chris some time to ponder that. And um, when we come back um, in the new year, I will definitely uh, get him back on the show and we will talk about how important it is in the online environment to to learn how to be with people. So thank you, Sylvia, for being an avid watcher. So grateful for what you're doing. And thank you everyone for watching today. Stay tuned because we are going to show our infamous uh, role play, which even watching it a second time was amazing. So um, please stay tuned and uh, we'll see you on the, we'll see you next week. Thank you very much. Can we role play that for a minute, Chris? <laughs> sure, sure. Um, can you play the role of a, a therapist or somebody who's coming in with an objective and then we'll switch so we can see the difference? I'll be the client. I just think, I feel like there's somebody watching today that needs to see this because it is so different. And somebody might, I've been doing this for 30 years this way. I need to continue on I know what to do. And it's like, oh, but we're missing such an awesome opportunity. So how about I show up as the client in the, in the center who is, is considering abortion, maybe I've already had an abortion, and you're going to meet me with this uh, planned attack of how you're going to meet me or how a pregnancy center might meet me. So, oh. well, True confessions first here before we go into the role play, because I love that idea, but true confessions, yeah. I have not been a frontline worker in an abortion center, right. so I will do my level best to play that role. I've not you even been it. a therapist for more than 20 years, and I'll probably slide into coach approach, but Absolutely. I'll do my best. And so for those of you who are watching and listening, here's what to listen for. When a therapist shows up, or let's say in this case, a, a, a counselor at a, at a frontline, they have, if not an agenda, they at least have a template in their mind through which their questions are being formulated. Okay. And that's because they're seeking to guide or direct through that. Mm -hmm. In a clinical setting, of course, their job is diagnosis. Got to figure out what's wrong. 
in a coach approach, we, we generally don't assume there's anything wrong. We're just seeking to get what's true, mm. what's actually in there. So yeah, I'll, I'll do my level best. I'll confess up front. I'm not sure how effective this portion will be, but let's give it a shot. You've come You're into the center. Great. You're in a crisis. <sighs> Chris, I, I've just been kicked out of my house. Um, I don't even know how far along I am. I don't think my boyfriend's going to stay with me if I keep this baby. I, I just, I don't see any other option. I feel like abortion is the only answer. Oh, Lisa, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for such a situation and good for you for coming in today to seek some help with that. I don't know that I need your help. I just, I'm really worried that I don't know where I'm going to live. I, I, I just need to know where I'm going to go to have this abortion. Okay. So it sounds like you have already made a decision that you're going to make an abortion because of the consequences going on. Is that right? Yeah. I, how, where am I going to live? I can't live under a bridge and have a baby. Okay. Well, but you're using the word baby there. So, so, I mean, you're aware that it is a baby, right? Ugh, that's not... I don't, I don't know. I mean, but how am I going to live? I don't, I don't know if I, if it's a baby, it's a baby. I, I'm just concerned because what am I going to do? Okay. Well, I, I don't want to judge you. I don't want to be critical or anything here, but I want to be sure that we're, that we're really meeting you in your situation. And there's lots of things that we can do here at this center to help you in the choices that you're about to make. But it sounds like the big one is abortion. So that's where I was going first with that questioning. Mm -hmm. Great job. So you had an agenda. You want to make sure I know where I'm going, right? Now meet me where I'm at. I come in and, and it's, you're, you guys are going to see it's vastly different what Chris, Chris is suggesting our approach should be. Uh, this is, you just did it, Chris. That's how we approach it. And then some people might have not even got that far. Well, God loves you and he's with you. And that, that would have been a, just another turn for us to take. But these are very common conversations that happen inside of our pregnancy center. So Okay. The direction, you were very directional. Yeah, well, go ahead. Uh, okay, and, and forgive me, because I do know that they have um, like scripts kind of, so to speak, uh, a way to work. And and I'm not denigrating that. I'm just saying right. the outcome measures are not what any of us would get really excited about. Sometimes the success rates are like 20 to 50%. If, if you're really working with abortion-minded women, oftentimes it's more like the 20%. If they're not so abortion-minded, they might be a little better. But nobody's reporting 70, 80, 90% success rates with, abortion-minded persons. So before we do this role play, then let's sh let's set the context again. I'm still okay. going to be the same person. I'm in that coach approach, seeking not really to be so much in front of them, but alongside of them. I'm not yeah. going to be looking to listen to what they tell me, nor even for what it means to me or to them. I'm looking to listen with them, to open them up to explore. And we're going to be doing this in a center where they walk in and there is not a shred of evidence anywhere that I'm a Christian. There's no evidence. There's no cross, no fish, no, no flame, no dove. There's no literature. There's no Bible. There's no framed scripture verse on the, there is nothing that you would see that would indicate that this is any, anything other than a woman's clinic. And it's gorgeous. It's a positively gorgeous women's center. It's not one of those clinics we walk into and go, ew, <laughs> that's okay. I won't sit down. I'll just stand here and wait to see somebody. It's all beautifully appointed with very, very nice furniture and matching setting in each of the individual rooms. So we're in a space where already this gal's experience of how she's being met is incredibly respectful of her. Mm -hmm. So here we go. Here we go. 
Oh, Chris, I don't even know why I'm here. I just know that um, I got kicked out of my house and I'm, I'm certain that my, my boyfriend's going to leave me. I don't even know how far along I am, but this baby has already caused me so many issues. Wow. This is a tough situation. What yeah. Go ahead. What am I going to do? What have you thought about doing? This is a place where we can explore all of that. What have you considered about doing in the face of your current situation? Well, I definitely have heard about abortion and I don't have the money for it, but I'm, I'm really considering trying to find the money for it. Um, telling my mom and, and maybe she'll, she'll, I don't know what she'll do, but maybe tell her. Um, I, I don't know what else to do. Okay, stay with it. So abortion would be one of your options. You said, I don't know what my mom would say if I did tell her, but it sounds like there's part of you that's inclined to tell mom. Say more about that. Well, I mean, I know my mom has already had an abortion and um, I feel like she'll understand and I've seen her cry about it before. So maybe she would have some sympathy for me, but she did tell me she would kick me out if I ever got pregnant. Wow. Okay. Sounds like that's where some of the ambivalence is coming. Maybe I tell her, maybe I don't, you know, she can relate, but she's given you that other message. Yeah. It's, I'm so scared. Does anyone else know? Is there anybody else in this with you already? You. Does your boyfriend know? No, I'm afraid to tell him. No other girlfriend or close sibling or anybody that you've shared it with? No. Is there anyone else that comes to mind as you consider the desire to tell somebody, whether it's mom or somebody else? I think my aunt would understand that she, she and I have spent a lot of time together. I think she'd, she might be able to help me talk to my mom. Wow. What does that mean? She might be able to help me. Uh, I'm just remembering like it's time in high school when I was in a lot of trouble. My mom really, I felt like she took it way out of proportion and got really mad at me. And my aunt was able to like really help her understand that I really didn't mean for all the bad things to happen. And my mom seemed to back off of me a little bit after that. Wow. So this aunt is somebody else in your life who's not so closely connected. She's not going to be able to kick you out of her house. You're not living there, but it's somebody else who you've actually had experience in the past with being able to share a tough situation. And she met you in it. Yeah, I guess you could say that. If she were here right now, what might she say to you? Some of the first things, what would her first reactions to you be? I think she'd tell me she loves me. And then she'd tell me that she's going to help me whatever it takes. Wow. What would that do all by itself? I guess I'm not even really worried anymore. I don't know. It feels weird that I can maybe have her support and maybe I won't get kicked out and maybe this 
maybe I won't feel like I just have felt so alone. I don't like this feeling. Shall we break the, the role play there? Because I'm yes. seeing things popping up in the chat and people seem to be tracking with what we're doing here. So good, Chris. I mean, that is what I'm taught. Like that, this is a gift that this is recorded and that we were just able to play it out because if I could take that experience in the pregnancy center and catapult it in to the work that we're doing with abortion healing and shift the paradigm to what we just experienced. And I hope that everybody watching and everybody who will watch saw I was in it. Like I wasn't making that up. I was trying to play the role, but I was following his lead and I was going to those places. That's what our clients need from us. And you saw what a miss it was when we had this fabricated agenda in that moment. And some people might say, well, we don't want them to have abortion. No, but look how much, look how much more powerful it was in that moment. So, um, thanks. I, Chris, I knew I threw you on for a loop there, but that's okay. That was beautiful. I love that it illustrated everybody could hear your guard drop. And I'd like to kind of press in on that because there's some very important things that happen in that we hear it spiritually. We hear when somebody's guard drops and you heard in the original conversation, the guard was up even on my part. I was tense. We, We were both guarded. We're both scared. That ain't a great space to meet in, okay? That's real likely to start doing some headbutting with best of intention, but we all know that feeling. But when you felt that guard drop there because she could tell she was being heard, something happens not just in her spirit. It happens in our brains. Our brains are created by God in such a manner that we take in all experience outside of us, all all things that we see, all things that we hear and experience, even all thoughts that we have, they first get processed in a very primitive part of our brain, kind of in the center of of the brain called the amygdala. And the amygdala serves one primary purpose. It's good that God fed all input first through there because it quickly helps us to discern danger. And when it senses danger, it gives us basically four very simple responses. It's like, choose A, B, C, or D. That's all you're going to get out of the amygdala. That's all it's designed to do because it's a self-protective part of our being. So information comes in at first, gets processed in the amygdala, senses danger, and it says, okay, either fight, flight, freeze, or appease. We all know the fight and flight response. Well, there's actually two other little variations on that theme. But either you come into a fighting kind of a position to stand your defense, or you run the heck out. You say, forget it. I don't even know what I was doing here. I'm going to run from the thing. Or you freeze like the deer in the headlights. Or you seek to appease, which is kind of like playing along, going along, but it's fake. It's it's adaptive. If we were maybe being... Um, I don't know, kidnapped or something, we might choose the appease option to try to work with our kidnapper, God forbid, to hopefully find an opportunity to run out. But that's all the amygdala is designed to do. Sense danger, and in the face of danger, then figure out how to quickly react. There's the key word. That's not proact. That's not using your higher functioning. That's not terribly complex in its thought and creativity. That all happens in the neocortex, the big part of our brain. If you can meet someone who is undeniably in their amygdala. When they're in a crisis pregnancy, guaranteed they're in their amygdala. And they're feeling like, I got to do something. We saw that on Lisa's face. If you can meet them there and you sense that dropping of their guard because suddenly they feel heard, safe, like maybe they're not going to get pressure, something 
you know, sort of the world ending might, you know, be about to happen. When they drop that, the brain kicks its processing up into the neocortex. And that's where suddenly they can see other options. I've got an aunt and she actually helped me in the past. Maybe I could even talk to my mom. Eh, that's kind of ambivalent. Had I stayed with that, there might've been two or three other people in Lisa's world who could have been resources for her by the time she walks out my door. Guaranteed she picked up at least one more. Thank you for joining us today. If you or someone you know has been impacted by abortion, you are not alone. Contact us today at supportafterabortion.com. If you were inspired by today's message, we welcome you to join the conversation by following us on Facebook or Instagram.